Of course, uh, he wears many hats in the local church, but one of the hats he wears serving churches all over the globe is uh, one is a senior trainer, consultant with Walk Through the Bible. Is that a good enough title? Yeah, yeah. So, And uh, just instrumental in helping people all over the globe get an understanding of God's Word and how it all works together. So would you join me in prayer as he comes up to lead us this morning? Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for this moment. We thank you for um, the opportunity to feast on the bread of life, God. And so we pray that your word would be swift this morning, moving from ear to heart, from heart to lips, from lips to conversation, and from conversation to character that forms and matures in each of us this week and this day. Lord, give us ears to hear how you would speak to us from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Good morning. Good morning. It is a joy to be back with you again uh, today. It's my honor to open the word. And uh, not only. Okay. How's that? that? Is that better? Good morning. I love... The Word of God. Amen? Amen? Every time I read through the Scripture, it seems like the Lord just brings something fresh to my mind. It's that sometimes it's new. It's a new thought. It's a new idea. Sometimes it's things that I've seen over and over again, but it's just a new impact. Anybody else have that experience when you read the Word of God? It's fresh and active. It's alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to discern between the soul and and the Spirit. Once I was reading Luke's Gospel. It's only in Luke in Luke's Gospel, the Bible's recording Jesus' trial, and he's recording how Paul, Peter comes in and warms himself by the fire. You, Many of you probably know the story. All the Gospels record this, but Luke is the only one who says that after Peter denied Jesus the third time, Jesus turned and looked at Peter. They made eye contact right after Peter denied Jesus for the third time. Now, I want you to envision that in your mind, that, ex that experience where this, the dark night and, and Jesus is being tried and, and he's being accused and he's being spit on, he's being slapped and he, he's being ridiculed. And his closest disciple, the one that he brought into his inner circle, is warming himself by fire, declare, declaring he's never even heard Jesus. And after he did it the third time, Jesus turned and made eye contact. Now I want you to get in your mind the expression on Jesus' face. Everybody got that? I would ask you to close your eyes, but it's early in the morning. I don't want you to go to sleep. But I just want you to get in your mind what you think Jesus had on his face. Now, many of you, maybe I would be tempted to think it's like, I told you so. I don't know what expression you see in Jesus' face when you see him looking, making eye contact with Peter But what I would suggest to you is 
That picture, that image you have in your mind is what you believe God is like. And this morning is what I'd like to do is have you compare that picture of what you think God is like with what God has declared about Himself. Wouldn't you want to know if you've got the right picture in your face? A right picture in your mind of Jesus' face? Wouldn't it be important to know who He says that He is? And so this morning, what we're going to do is look at one of the passages that is the most clear that I know of, where Jesus, where, excuse me, God Almighty, God, the, the, the Lord God declares himself, I believe it's a pre-incarnate Christ, we can have that discussion over lunch sometime, but God declares himself and talks about what he's like to Moses on Mount Sinai. Now, to set the context, you know that Moses is delivering his people. Uh, God is using Moses to deliver his people from Egypt, and, and he declared himself, God declared himself to Pharaoh. By the way, when, when God sent Moses to, to Pharaoh and said, let my people go, Pharaoh asked the question, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Now, now that was a tone of arrogance it was a tone of defiance. It was a tone of, of just disregard. And so God had this uh, unique way of introducing himself to the Pharaoh to explain who he was and why he should let his people go. We call them the ten plagues, right? He demonstrated his glory through his judgment. Through his glory, he devastated the world power at the time. It would be like God declaring his judgment on the U.S. like he did in Egypt. Egypt was the world power at that time like America is today. And so Pharaoh came to know God in his glory through judgment. Then so they, they were released and Moses did lead the children of Israel to Mount Sinai. And there, through, uh, through sin and restoration of the people of God, Moses is saying, God, if I found favor in your eyes, declare to me, show me your glory. And I love God's response to Moses. God said, I'll show you my goodness. Isn't that good? Moses asked for his glory. Moses asked to see God's glory. God responded, okay, I'll show you my goodness. And so he invited Moses up to the mountain. He put him in a, hole, in a cleft of a rock and covered him with his hand so that he couldn't see his face. But as he's going away, the Bible says God removed his hand and God declared himself to Moses. I want to ask you to read that with me. Moses, excuse me, Exodus chapter 34, beginning in verse 5. Exodus 34, beginning in verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow 
to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means declare the guilty, clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Will you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture. This passage of Scripture, this revelation of who you are to Moses influenced David, as we heard in Psalm 103 this morning. It influenced so many of the Old Testament writers. It marked the Word of God as you declared yourself to Moses. And God, I pray that it would mark our life as we are reminded or as we learn who you say you are and god as we compare that mental image of jesus in our mind with what you've revealed about yourself in this text that you will perfect you will perfect any era in the way we look at you and Father, will you let that understanding cause us to respond like Moses? And we'll give you the, we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You see, that question that Pharaoh asked, who is the Lord that I should obey him? is really the question that each one of us have to ask and answer. It's the most important question that we can ever ask and that we must answer. We've got to come to a decision on who we believe that Yahweh, the Lord, the God, the creator of the universe is. And we will have an answer. If we don't do it with our, life, uh, with our lips, we will do it with our life. We will answer the question of who we think the Lord is by the way we speak and by the way we live. So it's so important that we understand who he is and so he has declared himself and he didn't stutter and in this passage is one of the clearest places where he says here's what I want you to know about me here's my glory here's my glory dispelled and, dis and displayed through my goodness he starts out this passage with declaring his name the Lord the Lord that word the Lord that is his personal name he revealed his personal name to uh, to Moses in Exodus chapter 3 when Moses met the Lord at the burning bush and he said Lord who is it oh, oh God what am I going to say when I go back to Egypt and and I say God's told me to come who who is it and he said it's the I am that's the place where God revealed his personal name it's a construct that is, is weird to our language, but it is not I was or it is not I will be. It is I am. It speaks to God's having 
cont continual life. There's never been a moment when he wasn't. There'll never be a moment when he's not. He's always the current, present I am. He's the only entity that's ever been able to self-sustain. Everything, everyone, every other entity had a beginning or has an end, but not the great I am. Am. He is self-sufficient. He is self-contained. He was perfect in eternity past. He'll be perfect forever and ever and ever. In eternity past, before any of us were ever created, he was in complete community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is sufficient. He is perfect. He is holy. He is the current and always will be present I am. I, I love the old preacher that said, it's as if God said, you want to know who I am? Just, I am the fill in the blank. Are you weak? I am almighty. Are you needing wisdom? I am omniscient. Are you feeling lonely? I am omnipresent. I'm everywhere and everyone all over the world. I am everywhere present. Are you, are you weary? I am able. Whatever your need, he's the great I am. He's declaring himself through his name to what he is for you and me and all of creation. He is the Lord, the Lord. Then he goes on to talk about what he's like. He said, I'm the Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, full of mercy and grace. Mercy and grace are two sides of the same corn. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Grace is our receiving what we don't deserve. The best illustration I've heard of that happened to me this past spring. Becky, my wife, was teaching a walk through the Bible event in a large Christian school in Orlando, Florida. So I went hung out with her. Hey, it was a tough gig, but somebody's got to do it. I didn't go to Disney World, probably should have. Uh, it kept me out of trouble. What I did do was go make some appointments with pastors, one of which was in Ocala, Florida. And I like to get there early, so I made the trip to Ocala, and I got there early enough to go get a cup of coffee. Now, uh, if you know anything about your pastor, you know he has a refined palate for coffee. Amen? I'm not. Uh, so I was going to get a great cup of coffee at McDee's. So at McDonald's was my go-to for a cup of coffee. Put it in the GPS on my way to McDonald's, and I go through the downtown area of Ocala, Florida, see a, a police officer on the side of the road. Look down at my GPS. It's in the white. I'm good. I'm under the speed limit. No red for me. 31 miles an hour in a 35-mile-an-hour mile, zone, right? That's that's pretty good, four miles under what I thought was the speed limit. And this police officer, much to my surprise, pulled out after me, pulled me over, and I'm like, what in the world? Came up to my car, and she said, sir, you were going 35 miles an hour. I'm like, right, and it's 35 miles an hour zone. I'm going 31 miles an hour. She said, you're going 31 miles an hour. 
I'm glad I didn't say that because she went on to say in a 20 mile an hour school zone. I didn't see that sign. My GPS didn't recognize that zone. And I'm like, I am so sorry. She took my stuff, went back to the car, seemed like forever, but she probably just a few minutes, came back and gave me my license and said, sir, please be careful. We really care for our children in Florida and you need to pay attention to school zones. Gave me a warning. That's mercy. I was 11 miles an hour over the zone, the speed zone, but she did not give me a ticket. But she went back to the car. She said, she saw my tag. She saw, saw that I was a walk through the Bible instructor. She said, wait a minute, please. And she went back to her car, came back with four all expense paid resort tickets at Disney World and wrote a check for $5,000. And then I woke up. Now, the first part of that story is true. The second's not. But the second part of that true story would be grace. I didn't deserve, I deserved the ticket. But if she would have give, given me a four ticket, all expense paid, and then $5,000, which you probably need for a week at Disney World, then that would have been my getting what I didn't deserve, right? That's grace. And the Bible is revealing that God is way more gracious than tickets to Disney World. He is giving us, lavishing on us riches forever and ever in a place that's perfect and untarnished from sin because of his grace. He's merciful and gracious. Look back to the text. He is slow to anger. Aren't you glad the Lord is slow to anger. The actual Hebrew phrase means, a little strangely, long nostriled. Long nostriled. That means it's the idea of a bull, a, 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 a quick tempered, raging bull would be short nostriled, quick, immediate anger, just getting all upset and raging like a bull. That's not God. He's the opposite. Of that. This year, every year when I read the Bible, it seems that the Holy Spirit gives me a theme as I'm reading through the Old Testament. This year it was the, the, the patience of God, the, the, the slow to angerness of God over and over and over again. God is, is declaring judgment, but then someone will repent and God doesn't give them what they do deserve. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in patience. I don't know about you, but I need patience. I need God to be patient with me. God is merciful. God is gracious. God is slow to anger. God is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Not just enough, not just meet the immediate need barely, but the Bible says he's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. If you ever want to have a rich study of one word, 
That Hebrew word for steadfast love is one word. It's hesed, H-E-S-S-E-D. And that's a wealth of blessing if you want to study what that word means. We can say favor. Do you know that God is abounding in favor towards you? You are in the favor of God if you're in Christ. Favor. The favor of Almighty God. It's not just a little bit. It's not just barely enough. He's abounding in favor towards us. He's abounding in favor. He's abounding in faithfulness faithfulness. I love, I just read it this morning, Joshua, as he's coming to the end of his life, at the end of his book, he's saying, you know in your heart that all of the promises that he had made to us, he has fulfilled. That's faithfulness. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. The faithfulness of God will never end. He'll never make a promise that he doesn't finish and fulfill because of his abounding faithfulness. He goes on to say he forgives iniquities and transgressions and sins. Now, there are distinctives between those three iniquities and transgressions and sins. But when they're put together like this, what, the, what, G, what God is trying to reveal to us is anything that would hinder our relationship with God, he forgives. He lifts up. That's what the word is there. What a picture of the cross. He, he bears it off of us. He takes it away from us. Anything that's between us and God, he bears away so that he can forgive. What is it that you think would hinder you from knowing him? Whatever it is, whether it's iniquity, whether it's transgression, whether it's sin, it doesn't matter what it is. The Bible says he bears it away. We'll talk about how and where he does that in a moment, but the point is he's saying, I am a forgiving God. It's no issue to a holy God. Whatever it is that you think is too hard for him to forgive, what you think would never be forgiven, what you think would never allow you to be like somebody else in the presence of an almighty God, there is nothing that you've ever done, that you've ever thought, that you've ever said, that's too much for him to wash away. Because no matter how, what, whatever it is, how big it is, how much it is, how often it is, he forgives. He's a forgiving God. And he's a holy God. I love how he finishes this revelation of himself to Moses. Now, the, the text says, but by no means clear the guilty 
but visit the sins of the fathers to the sons to the third and fourth generation. Now, the, when you first read that, you're like, man, that's a hard right turn, right? <laughs> I mean, he's talked about who he's being merciful and gracious, a, 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 a long-suffering, uh, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving. And then he says, but will by no means clear the guilty. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm in the guilty party. There's none righteous, no, not one, right? We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So how can he be all these things we've just talked about, but in no way clear the guilty? It's a great question. And it talks about the holiness of God and the mercy of God meeting in the cross. It talks about that forgiveness being bearing away, lifting off, because God Almighty took it off of us and put it on His Son. He, God, made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for you and me, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him, in Christ. So when we come to God, when we understand who he is, and when we throw ourselves at his goodness, we're no longer guilty. We're cleansed. We're forgiven. We're washed. We are under the favor of God. It's the way God has made for sinful men and women to, made, be, to be made right with a holy God. And if we don't receive that free gift, if we don't bow our knee, if we don't humble our heart, if we don't repent and believe, then we remain guilty. And His holiness demands justice. He would not be good if that were not true. Amen. All the injustice in this world would beg his not being good if he did not fix all that's wrong. All the wickedness in our heart and in this world would say he would not be good if he did not fix that which is wrong. It's the holiness of God that is our great hope. Because it means that at one point in history, when he returns, he's promised that the corruptible will be made incorruptible. And the mortal will be made immortal. Our hope 
is that sin won't endure in us or in this world. Our hope is that the holiness of God will rectify every curse of this creation. God spoke this world into existence and it was holy, it was good, it was perfect. But we messed it up, Adam and Eve messed it up when they sinned. And the entire Bible from Genesis 3 to Revelation is about what God's done to rectify that through his son Jesus. It's his holiness that is our hope. If we respond to this good God the only way that he deserves. And that is like Moses responded in verse 8. Look there with me. Exodus chapter 34, verse 8. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. What other response is there? If we understand who God is, if he has revealed his glory by seeing his goodness like he's unfolded in these verses, the only reasonable response is what Moses did to hurry and bow on our face in adoration, submission, and worship to this holy, good God. And as we do, everything that he's declared about himself is true in our life. From that moment of receiving him as our Lord and trusting him as our Savior throughout all of eternity, there'll be no end to his goodness. And all that we've seen that he's declared to us, if we will bow and humble ourselves and submit to him as our Lord and trust him to be our Savior. Lord just simply means boss. Coming to the point in our life where we realize that we are guilty and we understand that he has loved us with the cross and we Ask the Lord to forgive us and we give him all that we know about ourselves to all that we know about him. At that moment, all that we've learned is true in our life and his goodness overflows and it just gets sweeter and sweeter as we grow. But there is another response. And sadly, it's the response that most of the world gives. And it's the response that Pharaoh had. When Moses said, the Lord has said, let my people go. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him? And he refused to surrender. He refused to worship. He refused to obey. And God did not clear him. God judged him because he's a holy, righteous God. 
And he'll do that in our life too. If we don't surrender, if we don't obey, then the holiness of God will judge our sin in our life, both in missing the joy of knowing in this earth, but when we die, we'll stand before a holy God and hear him say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. You see, the beauty of this story is this a love story. It's about what this good holy God has done to rectify our sin and to bring us into a relationship with himself. I'm convinced that look on Peter's face, I mean, excuse me, that look on Jesus' face when he looked at Peter was absolute love, absolute understanding, and absolute acceptance. If you read closely, it already told Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. When you return, strengthen your brothers. Peter's sin did not surprise Jesus. Jesus loved him in spite of it. And so does he, you and me. I'm going to ask you just to sit with that question for a few minutes. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Will you bow your head, please? And will you respond to that Lord as he deserves? Father, we thank you so much for your faithfulness, for your unfailing love, for that has said love, that never ending, never stopping, always chasing after us kind of love. Paul would write in Romans about it that um, your love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that you gave to us with the precision of a surgeon, but the force of Niagara Falls, God, you have poured out your love on us. Lord, our response today, we pray, brings you the glory and the honor that you are so worthy of. We want to worship you in spirit and in truth. We love you. In Jesus' name, let the church say amen.